Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. What up, Fightful fam, and welcome to 1-2 Punch, Player 1, Shaquille Madjui, Player 2, Marcus, the Rebel, Rebello. Sorry, I didn't plan this one today. Uh, rebellious because you were late on the start time, but we made it to the show at 2.15 Eastern, 11.15 a.m. Pacific. As intended, Marcus, long time no see, man. How is everything on the East Coast of Canada? Great, man. All things considered, obviously, uh, with the world situation right now, it's pretty much, you know, touch and go with everyone, but making the best out of uh, out of the situation and uh, just trying to get outdoors as the weather uh, gets back up here and, and gets a lot better. All right. If your Twitter bio is up to date, you are a associate producer over at CBC Sports. Still yep. correct? Yeah, that's still correct. Right, Glad <laughs> to see everything's chugging along there. Guys, welcome to One Two Punch. Uh, this is our Fightful Select Patreon exclusive podcast, but we like to throw it out there. For everyone on YouTube and beyond, free on the pay-per-view weeks. And while there is no UFC pay-per-view this Saturday, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on where you stand, there is a boxing pay-per-view, Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. We're going to get to all of it. Uh, For those unfamiliar with the program and the format, it's one-two punch. We assign the biggest winners and losers of the week. Doesn't mean we're calling you a loser, unless you're Jake Paul. Maybe we are. We'll see. Um, but it's just all in the spirit of good fun, not to be taken too seriously. I will hit this animated intro. Boom. Shout out to the special effects team. Okay, guys, quick reminder, if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a thumbs up. All those little acts go a really long way to fueling the program. If you like what we're doing here, you can hop over at Fightful Select, get this every week, plus a ton of exclusive pro wrestling content, if that's your cup of tea. From Sean Ross Sapp, we'd very much appreciate that. Uh, leave a super chat donation. Hit us up in the live chat since we're free and everywhere today. Love to engage with you guys. Another great way to help us out. And 
it lets me know the stream is running smoothly. I don't have to put my ear to my headphones like an idiot. That's enough of me shell myself out. Let's do it. Okay, first and foremost, uh, let's start on the winner's end because we do have a lot of losers to hit on. Fortunate week for Conor McGregor. Uh, there's some sort of... I think it was a sexual misconduct case against him dropped not enough evidence and on the same end well there's probably not a whole lot to say about that considering there wasn't much evidence to support it um i am excited for connor because not only do we have ufc 264 officially booked but there's a little bit of spice to it there's just enough edge where we're not talking about racist punching old men conor mcgregor but we're talking about a conor mcgregor who's a little pissed off at dustin poirier right now has this recent beef over the whole foundation charity debacle that we're going to get to a little bit later are you a little more excited for this fight now than you perhaps were when the idea of an immediate rematch was first proposed i mean yes um of course obviously i think in general, I think for most fight fans, the excitement level will go up a little bit, maybe a lot for some for us, some others, and especially those who are Conor McGregor fans um, and supporters. But uh, definitely, it, it definitely piques your interest a lot more. I mean, you know, the the idea of a trilogy fight was kind of seen before as um, a little bit of, of Dustin kind of taking that payday and, and taking that, I wouldn't call it easy money. I don't think that that's the right term to use, but just taking, you know, some guaranteed money and to gain more notoriety and more um, eyeballs on himself through, you know, the mainstream, not that he isn't already because he beat Conor McGregor, but just kind of amplifying that even more. So to have him and Conor kind of have this back and forth in regards to their charity, I mean, just draws even more interest and draws even more debate as to what kind of Conor we're seeing. Cause we kind of saw Conor that was a lot more calm, a lot more poised during fight week where he necessarily wasn't getting into the banter with his opponent and now we're kind of seeing that back that that revert kind of to the old connor so to speak where we you know see that mystic mac um sort of persona come back into into his fight weeks and to his fight camps yeah i think for me the most confusing thing about connor mcgregor is that while he is a supremely confident person you get such a different side of his personality from fight to fight that I'm not sure if he knows what the best approach is for him, right? Like you have one, you have, you have one on his come up, you've got Mystic Mac, very cool, calm, collected, charismatic. And that's the guy who made it all the way to the world title. But then you see brushes like against the second Nate Diaz fight, a lot more reserved against Dustin Poirier, a lot more reserved against Habib, like if not literally figuratively coked out, um, it sometimes concerns me when fighters feel like they have to make such robust changes into not just their preparation, but their personality to sort of persevere through the harder moments of the sport. I'm not sure. It kind of like John Jones. Like, I'm never quite sure if I know who Conor McGregor actually is. Yeah, it, it, I, I definitely agree with you there. It definitely varies between fight to fight. And I think based on opponent, right? And based on the mood and kind of tone that the opponent has set right with, with, with Nate in between the first and the second one, after Nate kind of got that one up on him, you kind of saw a little bit more of, like you said, a little bit more laid back, not, not necessarily a laid back Connor, but a little bit more calm, cool, that cold killer Connor kind of come out. And now with Dustin, we're kind of seeing that again, that evolution where you had the first one where there was so much bad blood 
Um, you know, Dustin, you know, there's that video that kept rolling over and over again from, from fight week behind the scenes of him kind of saying how much he had so, so much disdain for Connor, right. That he genuinely did not like Connor. Mm-hmm. And then in that second fight, you kind of saw a little bit more um, of a reserved nature from Dustin and same thing from Connor. And now again, we're going, you know, it, it kind of changes. It varies from, from camp to camp and you just never know what you're going to get. And I think that's what kind of um, adds to the aura or the intrigue of Conor McGregor and his fandom is that you never know what you're going to get. He's sort of like a loose cannon, so to speak, as we all know. So I think that definitely um, adds an added interest and bonus and excitement for that fight that might have not been there originally when the trilogy fight was proposed or announced. Uh, I'm going to go to the live chat real quick. Uh, there's a statement here about Jake Paul allegations, which I can't prove, so I'm not going to answer that one. But Joseph Boza chimes in, Dustin fall for Connor's trap, and this is all a publicity stunt. UFC 257 did 1.6 million buys because the card was good on paper. And honestly, the card wasn't that good outside of the main event. I, I seem to remember the co-main down being a little disappointing. This one's looking way better with Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson on the card. On paper, UFC 264 isn't that good. So that's where him and I sort of disagree. But uh, Oh, wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. UFC 257, what am I talking about? We had Michael Chandler, Dan Hooker on the card. I think I'm mixing it up with uh, whatever the recent Kamar Usman Gilbert Burns card was that had like yep. barely ranked women's strawweights in the go man. Uh, if it gets a million, it's a success. Yeah, I think without a doubt, this is going to crack a million easily because for the casual audience who perhaps wasn't as conscious of Dustin Poirier on his come up, dude, Dustin Poirier did the media tour after that fight. He was on Hot Ones. He was on everything. You now have what appears to be a bit of a grudge. You have a foil to Conor McGregor that the general public is more aware of. I think this is probably going to exceed UFC 257. Yeah, and I think the the added intrigue or added point of interest there is the charity aspect. The fact that it has something to do mm-hmm. with charity. The fact that you're kind of playing with, I wouldn't call it people's livelihoods, but you know the general wealth welfare of of a group or of a certain um a stature um to have that kind of added intrigue there with dustin and all the work that he's done with his good fight foundation to kind of have him go at connor and say you know i haven't heard from your team and what's going on here from and for connor to kind of get all that um praise that he did get and rightfully so the fact that he was going to donate um you know some of his purse to to that foundation the fact that he was going to do that and now he's kind of pulling back on that kind of adds to I mean, I guess the intrigue again for a casual person, when you hear a story like that of someone, anytime you hear something sort of with charity or, you know, that, that word scandal automatically gets attached to it and then boom, right away, you're going to draw more interest. So let's touch on that real quick. What did you make of these allegations? So uh, the, I haven't dug too deep into it, but the general timeline, uh, Conor McGregor takes a dig at Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier comes back and accuses Conor and his team of not sending over the money that was promised to his Good Fight Foundation, as well as just entirely ignoring emails from Dustin's team. Connor comes back and says that uh, they vet all the people they donate to and that Dustin's team was not being forthcoming with what the money would go towards. Where do you... And then then at some point, Dustin kind of came out and apologized for bringing it out into the public. Now, to me, that isn't a declaration that Dustin Poirier was wrong in in the situation between the Good Fight Foundation and whoever was responsible for donating on behalf of Connor's team. Dustin Poirier has always been very sheltered about his finances. You know, you, you see any time 
that uh, Ariel Hawani or Mike Bond or anyone asks asks Dustin, hey, are you making pay-per-view points of this? Hey, how much are you getting paid? Dustin just doesn't want to answer the question. So for me, I think it's more a professionalism thing. What do you think happened? I know it's impossible to know with the information we have presented to us, but where where is the conflict here or, the, or sort of the snag in the rope? I think it's a case of my people will talk to your people. Um, that there's just something got lost in the shuffle between, between the two, between the two camps, you know, because when you're at the level of Conor McGregor and you're at, you know, his stature in terms of, of earnings, you're going to have a lot of people, you know, dealing with your money, essentially, right. You're going to have a lot of advisors, whether it's, you know, financial, whether it's in, on the business side, whatever that may be. I think there was a lot of people in Conor's camp and it might've got lost in that shuffle or there were a lot of people in Dustin's camp, you know, Obviously, Dustin, it's his foundation. It's under his name, you know, the Good Fight Foundation. But he obviously can't do that alone. And there's probably a lot of people in his corner, in his camp, that deal with that sort of thing. And like he said, or you know, originally in his original statement that his team reached out to Connor's team. So it's two teams dealing with each other. It's not fighter to fighter. It's not Connor going directly or Dustin going directly to Connor. So I think that's where the kind of, I would call it a miscommunication or a misunderstanding because obviously we don't know the facts like yourself. Um, I don't know the exact details. I'm not, and you know, immersed into that world. So, um, or in the dealings. So, in terms of of what exactly happened, I don't think we'll ever know. But I just think it, it was a case of you know, my people will call your people, and you know, there's some sort of broken communication there. Yeah. All right. Next up on the winners, and uh, I gotta say, I think that this whole Jake Paul Ben Askren buildup has been huge for Ben Askren. Now, he took the fight initially, looking at it as sort of an easy payday, a reason to get into shape, wasn't thinking too much beyond that. And it's funny because he's such a charismatic, social, witty guy, really made for this sort of intersect between sport and entertainment that is mixed martial arts. But we were doing a you know virtual media day with him, and he repeated that like he doesn't like this attention. He doesn't want to be asked for photographs. He doesn't really... Uh, like he just kind of wants to coach his wrestling team and do his podcast and let it be. Because I asked him after many technical difficulties, um, you know, when you look at the numbers, like his appearance on Logan Paul is probably one of the top 15 episodes of Impulsive ever. It At the time I was looking at it was the third most food truck diaries. And I'm pretty sure by now it's surpassed Jorge Masvidal, just by an Israeli Bisanya. Like... People are really care about Ben Askren right now. Every day, Ariel Helwani pointed out that it appears he's getting like a new sponsorship deal every day. Looking back on how he started with this whole craziness to where we are now, how big of a boost has this been for Ben Askren's business and profile, at least until we see the result? I think it's more than he wants to admit, um, especially in terms of you know the way the MMA community has rallied around him, even though he has come out and said that that's not necessarily what he wants or what is he, he's interested in. Um, so in terms of the personal side and, and the fandom side, I think obviously for Ben, the whole MMA community is sort of rallied around him, or at least the majority of them, other than Jorge Masvidal, um, has sort of rallied around him and, you know, wanted him to, you know, represent, because he is a representation of the sport. As much as he might not want to admit it, um, you know, he's Ben Askren, the MMA fighter, Ben Askren, you know, a former Olympic wrestler. Ben Askren is a representative of, you know, mixed martial arts and the martial arts community. So whether he wants to downplay that or not, I think that's a huge reason in terms of the business side. 
obviously, I mean, when you're fighting someone like Jake Paul, who, whether we like to admit it or not, does bring a lot of eyeballs to the sport of boxing, does draw a lot of numbers. Where that's coming from, that's still up for debate, whether, like, in terms of demographic and, and the audience. But in terms of that, Ben Askren obviously is going to see a huge increase and he will continue to, unless obviously something dramatic and, you know, it just goes terrible for him on Saturday, much like it did for Nate Robinson. But I still think um, in terms of both his personal side and his business side, it's definitely a big win for him, like you said. Okay. Are there any other big winners for the week you'd like to highlight before we move on to the losers portion of this third way mark of the show? In terms of been big winners for the week, um, I think we pretty much covered it all. I mean, you have Ben Askren. Kind of Askren. a slow week, weirdly enough, despite some of the big but names popping up. It was a little bit of a slow week. I mean, we did have, obviously, we have, you know, a UFC card coming up this weekend as well. We will get And Kevin Gaslam, and got, exactly, we'll get to that. So, um, in terms of winners from the Jake Paul or, or Ben Askren side, I mean, I, mean, I think we've, we've pretty much covered it there. Yeah. Okay. Then let's move on to the losers, and we're gonna stay on the Jake Paul bandwagon. Uh, allegations come out earlier this week, accusing him of sexually assaulting um, a TikTok star. I can't remember the timeline about this, but it was apparently at a studio that he owns, or they went into his room. Some things happened that uh, allegedly should not have happened. Now, let me start by saying, when stories like this come out. While I may personally have an impulse as to what is true and what is not, I think it's very important to maintain some degree of neutrality. And that's not to say, oh, I don't know who to believe so much as it is. Okay, serious allegations. Let's start figuring out what the truth is. Does it bother you as much as it bothers me when you look online and there's just swarms of people either saying Jake Paul did it or even worse um no well no no equally bad either jake paul did it did it or oh this girl is lying oh this girl just wants attention oh this girl's trying to boost her business like do you wish that people had the common sense to just take things seriously look into them and hopefully let the truth reveal itself yeah i mean i've kind of become numb to that sort of dialogue when something like this happens it's just something we see now all the time so it's kind of hard for me to get you know really um upset and bothered by it not that it doesn't um and i think it's it's also it comes from you know a journalistic background as well it's not to say that journalists you know are right all the time or you know always act in in you know an appropriate manner but you know when you are in that journalism sphere you have to act on not necessarily neutrality like you said but you have to get all the facts because that's what your job is your job is to report the facts um obviously you can interject with your opinion and you know in, in certain forms and different different forms of media but um you need to you know get all the facts and establish all the facts before kind of coming out with that so yeah it, in terms of it bothering me, um, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I'm going to be honest because it's just something I. That's the nature of the job. To, and it happens. It's a part of the job, like you said, and it's what we see all the time now. But yeah, I definitely, obviously, we want to have all the facts because on one side we have serious allegations against them, and if they are proven to be true, that's you know just terrible and horrible and the most insane way you can ever imagine right like nobody should ever have to go through that whether you're you know any walk in any walk of life or in 
any you know specific gender um and on the other side if it's untrue then you're talking about you know um not only it would not only just killing someone's um reputation and career but that's a human being right and when you have not to say that those allegations are false but if they were to come out false then you have you know what i mean some serious damage on the other side and jake paul has gone in the offensive with that you know rhetoric yeah i didn't i didn't love his statement and and we'll get to it in a second i do want to go to the live chat real quick judas donas chimes in asking why was this on my notifications because it's a damn good podcast and if you want it every week head over to fightfulselect.com and one sss says i miss you Shaq. ever since it became an exclusive miss you too but dude it's like five bucks we're in a we're in a pandemic what else are you spending your money on go support it makes a good look for me on the boss appreciate (laughs) it um a terrible time to interject with that but i did it nonetheless it's my show I want to just touch very quickly on how this allegation ties into the fight. So obviously a really big element of what detractors of the alleged victim are going to use is, oh, why is she bringing it up now the week of his fight? And, uh, you know, she may say now is when she felt comfortable, whatever the case may be. I think there's a very strong possibility, and we've seen this happen many times, that it was done now. Because if it if this alleged crime did occur, perhaps enough time has passed where she now feels more comfortable coming out with it. But furthermore, because this is the week that the most people are going to be talking about Jake Paul. And while the detractors are going to say, oh, look at you using it as clout, bringing this up now. If you want to bring to light someone who allegedly did harm to you. The best time to do it is when everyone is talking about that person. I don't think that's inherently malicious if these allegations are true. It's just intelligent. Like, why would you bring this up when no one cares about the person? If you really want to get back at this person or bring them to justice, you're going to do it when everyone cares about what's going on with them, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And and that's, again, that's sort of I, the frustrating part about, you know, when something like this comes about is because... You know, you have a lot of people jumping on saying, you know, why now? Why this time? Why that time? We, me, you, everybody, we will never know. We do, we don't, we not mind. We can't know what someone is feeling at that particular moment or in that particular time of their life. Everyone is different. Everyone's going to, you know, have different coping mechanisms and different ways they go about things. So if the, you know, alleged victim felt comfortable coming out at this time or felt like it was the right thing to do to come out at this time, then who are we to question that? You know what I mean? So that's kind of where I stand on that is yes, obviously you're going to have those people on the other side that support Jake Paul and that say, Hey, you know, like why now, why this time, why that time? The the frustrating part is we will never know why you don't know what someone is thinking. You don't know how someone is feeling. So the best option is to be to just, again, like we discussed earlier when we first brought up the subject is to just let the facts come out as, you know, tough as it is to say, sometimes you just have to let the facts come out and see how everything, you know, plays out. And then we can all formulate our, our own opinions and, you know, truth will, will eventually come out. I do want to, uh, are there any other losers that stick out in your mind this week? Again, uh, it's been a relatively mild week in the world of MMA. Uh, no, I mean, other than, you know, Jake Paul and what's transpired over the last week, I don't think there's, you know, much, uh, in terms of, 
of of losers. Again, Jake Paul and Ben Askren has kind of do- dominated this fight. We just really don't want to hit it. Oh uh, man, I mean, if you want to talk about a loser, I was on the press conference for uh, or the media day yesterday. And I don't know what was going on. I've never experienced this tech issue with Zoom. I don't think it was on my end because I did. I ran my tests. Everything else I was functioning with was working super smooth. I don't think it was on Triller's end either because it appeared the other media taking part in questions didn't have this issue. But for whatever reason, not only was there like a 30-second delay between me and what was actually going on, there was also like a 15-second delay between the video and the audio, so they unmute my mic so I can ask Ben a question. And by the time he start, he stops talking and is ready for my question, apparently he had stopped talking like 30 seconds ago, and he had just been sitting there waiting for me. I asked my first question. I'm waiting for his response to finish because I don't know when he's going to finish. And again, mm-hmm. turns out he's been done for like 30 seconds. And as I go to ask my second question, they hang up on me. Ben makes a joke about it. I was like, oh, man. Uh, shout out to Jerry from Triller. He was super nice. So I was like, we'll get you back in there. And so the whole time, I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? And so I decided as soon as I, I see my mic is unmuted, go ask one question. Don't follow up. Because when I start asking my question, he was still on my screen. Ben, Jake, they were still answering the last guy's question. It was so far back. But. Anyway, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I think Ben had a good laugh about it. <laughs> such as such as working online, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the live chat very quickly. Evanda, uh, shout out to our friends over at MMA Underground. Go subscribe there. They put a lot of fun alternative video essay, stuff like that. They do great work. He says, Evander Holyfield is fighting Kevin McBride. You're right. That does go in the losers category. Um, you know, I'm... I'm fine with Triller doing all this. It doesn't bother me. As someone who's not uh, didn't grow up a boxing fan, that doesn't pique my interest as much as seeing the MMA crossovers. Um, I know there's people who have problems with all of these sort of celebrity crossovers. We just saw that Diplo is apparently going to be boxing, possibly yeah. against Takashi Six Nine. Yeah, I saw that. There's insanity. Uh, look, it's just its own thing, right? I, I think people are too emotional about it one way or the other. There's the combat sports purists who say, oh, this is disgusting. This is going to ruin our reputation. And then there's those who says, oh, this is actually going to boost and support boxing and MMA. I, and maybe I'm ingesting too much Luke Thomas information here, but I more so believe that it's just going to occupy its own pocket. There's always going to be some degree of crossover between fans. Like, you know, entertainment and sports are my two industries. So for me, this sort of stuff really meshes perfectly. But I don't look at it as a win for either industry. It's just another pocket of entertainment. What do you make of the potential for these sort of celebrity crossovers and Legends fights long term? I think if I'm going to be completely honest, for me personally, it's not really for me. I mean, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the way they go about promoting the fights and you know, I mean, it's not to say that, you know, going back to Jake Paul, it's not to say that he's not taking the sport seriously. We have a lot of people who have come out and are in his circle that have said that they've seen him train, they've seen him work, that he is taking the sport seriously. It's just the whole antics behind it. And I get it. You know, he it's part of his persona and he has to sell the fight. And it's part of, you know, his brand that he's built with YouTube on YouTube, along with his brother, Logan. So I totally understand that aspect of it. It's not necessarily for me. Am I going to watch? I'm going to have to admit yes. 
purely <laughs> from a curiosity standpoint as well. Like uh, I, worry, I already got I, my I was initially, oh, uh, initially I was, I was not. I'm gonna be honest with you. Initially, I was trying my hardest to say, you know what, I'm not, I can't. I'm not gonna watch. I'm not gonna watch. But there's just too much intrigue there, especially with this, you know, the week that we've had in terms of the fight buildup between Jake Paul and Ben Askren. I am gonna, I am curious to see more along the lines of Ben Askren. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that I don't know what Jake Paul can do in the ring. Who knows? He could bring some more skills to the table that we haven't seen. But I mean, he's fought, you know, a YouTuber, yeah, and a, you know, and Nate Robinson, who so, apparently did no training. Apparently, Nate exactly. did not ever put on the gloves, which is just so brain dead. So, so to kind of judge him on that, it's tough. If he was facing an amateur and had some success, and you know, beat the amateur, whether it was by decision or by you know an emphatic knockout, then I think we can judge Jake Paul's skills a little bit more and, you know, take it, not to take it more seriously, but, you know, to put some validity behind it. Yeah, it'll so. definitely answer more questions that we've had answered up to this point. And last thing I want to touch on regarding the losers, going back to one triple S in the comment section, he says, has Tate, has Tatiana Suarez, excuse me, recovered from her injuries? It's been a while. Boy, it has been a while. She signed with the UFC. I think her first fight was in 2015. We are now 2021. She's had about five UFC fights, all wins, and not against chumps. We're talking Nina Ansarov, unanimous decision, TKO'd Carla Esparza, tapped out Alexa Grosso. Like, if you're talking about a legit contender in that division, it is Tatiana Suarez. But at this point, unfortunately, it's weird because she's an afterthought, yet... I think that division is shallow enough that we're still talking about her and she probably could still be competitive, but we've really veered into the Hamza Chimeyev, Santiago Ponzinibbio territory where it's like, dude, just fight. She's 30 years old now. Not her fault at all that she's been riddled with injuries, but what do you think are the odds that Tatiana Suarez eventually cashes in on the expectations for her? Not to say she can't come back and win, but at this point, at this rate, do you think she's ever going to be a champion? Uh, I definitely think there's a possibility there. Um, you know, and as we've seen in a lot of different divisions throughout the, U- the UFC, especially the women's division, um, you know, it goes through ebbs and flows. We have period points of time where, you know, we've seen the flyweights, you know, that there's a lot of up and coming great flyweight fights to make. And the division, you know, has some, some real competition there where, um, where there's some momentum and that we could see, you know, a, a real, a real champion come through that. Um, in terms of Tatiana and when we're looking at, you know, straw weight, uh, I definitely think there's a possibility there. I mean, again, typically what happens with, you know, the women's division is we have a bunch of contenders lined up and then there's kind of that lull period. I don't know if you would agree with that, but there's kind of that period where uh, I don't want to say we're grasping our straws, but we're trying to find, you know, some contenders. So for her to come back and have maybe an emphatic win um, or, you know, went string two wins together, whether it's by decision or, or finish, I definitely think, you know, she could be right there and they can have um, Tatiana jump, just jump right in for a title shot. And again, bring more interest and new contender into the division because it seems to be, you know, a few times it's happened throughout the divisions in the UFC and the women's divisions is we've had, you know, a few of the same contenders, not to say it's a bad thing because such high level mixed martial artists, you know, when you look at, at when you look at Rose, when you look at Wei Lee, there, there's some great fights to make. So um, I definitely think she's still right there no matter what. Yes. And uh, Joseph Boza points out, she did earn a title shot when she beat the, uh, Former Nina Ansarov, now Nina Nunez. But that was a long time ago. I wouldn't mind seeing 
Mackenzie Dern versus Tatiana Suarez. I feel like that would be interesting. Um, but again, we'll, we'll see where she's at. Uh, let's move on to the UFC Vegas 14 preview as we wrap this up. Quick reminder, folks, if you can, please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a like on this video. All that goes so far to helping our channel grow. Views have been ticking up, so thank you guys for your support. If you want to help us out even more, a little super chat donation warms the heart. Leave a dollar, leave a thousand. I have my preference, but it is all a-okay with me. All right, UFC Vegas 14. First question and biggest question for me. We have Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, the fight that was supposed to be for the middleweight title until Robert Whitaker pulled out the day of and almost died as his body starts shutting down. That's when we got Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva as a three-round main event. Here we are, Gastelum stepping in on short notice for Paulo Costa. Kelvin, at this point, I don't want to say an afterthought in the middleweight division. That's not quite fair. But a, a guy who every time you think he's on the brink of capitalizing, it's like one step forward, two steps back. He's coming off a win against Ian Heinrich that while others describe as impressive, I describe as meh, considering where Kelvin Gastelum was at one point in this division. I got to say, though, I think Kelvin Gastelum, at least heading into the fight, is without a doubt one of the biggest winners of the week. And I was saving until now to say so because... We're in a position where he was far from sniffing a number one contender's fight. And here he is now slotted against, without a doubt, the top contender in Robert Whitaker. And if he wins this, I am very confident he is going to get the next UFC middleweight title shot. Because in Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker, uh, sorry, Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya 2, we're talking about a rematch to what is my all-time favorite fight. Without a doubt, one of the best fights of the year. Could this have gone better for Kelvin, at least up until this point? No, definitely not. I think this is best case scenario for him. You're talking about, you know, coming off through, you know, he was on the, the verge. I wouldn't say of being cut, but he's on the verge of getting to that spot where you're kind of in no man's land, if you know what I mean, where mm -hmm. you're not necessarily fighting top contenders, but you're not necessarily, you know, getting... You know, you, you might be getting young and up-and-coming prospects, but you don't want to be in that position. You want to be, you know, kind of somewhere where, you know, your trajectory is going up, where you're, you know, you have that ability to fight top contenders. And when you go from fighting Israel Adesanya to Darren Till um, and then to lose to Jack Romanson and then to go to Ian Heinish, not to no disrespect to anyone, a single one of those fighters, but you're talking about a level of competition that drops off a bit. And then you're kind of, again, you're getting to that scary point where you're in no man's land. So for him to come mm -hmm. back from that, his back against the wall, three losses in a row to win, like you said, it wasn't necessarily super impressive, but I thought the most impressive part was again, coming through what he had gone through with three straight losses, right? It's not, it's not easy. There were some tough fights that he lost. You know, the Darren Till one was close, although I did think Darren Till won. It was a close fight. Um, so you're talking about someone who was right there and right there against Israel Adesanya, like you said, in that, you know, all time classic fight, he was within, you know, I wouldn't say inches of beating him, but he was right there. He had him hurt multiple times in an all time back and forth fight. So for Calvin Gaston to be up against Robert Whitaker in a, in a time where the middleweight division is wide, completely wide open is the best case scenario for him. So let's match make this here because Israel Adesanya appears to have a little bit of sway in terms of his own matchmaking. He has traditionally been very opposed to a rematch against Robert Whitaker. I, I think he thinks that he more than proved himself the first time around. 
in a in a in a sick way, I'm happy he lost the light heavyweight super fight against Jan Blahovich because now we can see middleweight resume as intended. We can see Glover get the title shot he deserves at 205. I think Izzy would be more interested in the Kelvin Gaslam rematch than the Robert Whitaker one, only because I think he has something to prove there. I think he has a lot of respect for how how, how deep Kelvin Gaslam dragged him. Israel has been very, very nonchalant about Marvin Vittori. He doesn't seem to want that fight. And I think in a lot of people's minds, that might be the toughest fight for him right now. If Robert Whitaker wins, do you think the UFC has enough, puts enough pressure on Izzy to accept that fight? Because this whole time, Izzy has wanted Darren Till. That's not happening right now. Darren Till's out of action. Marvin Vittori is clearly in the running. And then you have this number one contenders fight. If Robert Whitaker beats Kelvin Gastelum, do you think that's more likely than the Marvin Vittori fight? Yes, I do. I think Marvin um, needs one more. I I agree. I was about to say that it's not again. It's no disrespect to 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 Marvin. I think he's had a great run. Um, you know, he showed his complete game in the fight against you know Kevin Holland. He showed you know his that he's a, that he is a complete mixed martial artist. That added, you know, the added aspect of takedowns and wrestling to his game, I think, will pose kind of a different, uh, not necessarily risk, but just a different element to a rematch with uh, Adesanya. But I definitely think he is, he needs a mark, not to say he needs a, you know, he kind of needs that, he does need a marquee name. I'm just going to go ahead and say he needs a marquee name. He needs someone that's right there. That's, you know, him versus Robert Whitaker would be, Mm an ideal perfect matchup, but just based on matchmaking and scheduling that obviously is not going to work out. So for him to, and again, it would have been better for him to fight Darren Till, but we obviously know he's out of action. So in terms of Marvin Vittori, I definitely think he needs that one more fight, but I think if Robert Whitaker wins, how can the UFC and how can Robert Whitaker and how can the division and Israel Adesanya itself kind of have any legitimacy that that has to be the fight right and i know israel adesanya has talked about it many many times and it's a fight that i because they're two i noticed like full disclosure it's two of my favorite fighters darren Mm -hmm. till and israel adesanya i would love to see that fight and as a football fan at anfield even though i'm a manchester united supporter i would love to see that fight happen at a venue like anfield at liverpool you know with the crowd screaming sweet caroline you know the scenes of liverpool would be amazing but that's just not possible right now. Yeah. So I think, how could you deny Robert Whitaker that rematch, especially after everything he's been through and the run that he's going to be on if he gets the job done against Kelvin? Uh, last thing on this middleweight picture, and I've asked this question in other weeks, but it's a puzzle that I continue to struggle solving. If, without a doubt, the next fight is going to be Izzy versus the winner of Saturday night's main event, who do you what do you do with Marvin Vittori next? Because I think one that makes a lot of sense on the surface would be Marvin Vittori versus Derek Brunson, just based off the fact they're both coming off of basically identical wins against Kevin Holland. I think you can answer a good question there about which of those guys is really next. But I think probably the better call in terms of moving on with the division in a meaningful way is some combination of Marvin Vittori and Derek Brunson versus Jared Cannonier and Paulo Costa because it gives both guys the chance to move forward. Plus, I don't think Derek Brunson is going to get a shot against Izzy anytime soon. How would you matchmake you know, the top four guys outside of Izzy, Whitaker, and, Gals- and Gaslam? Well, if, if I'm Marvin Vittori, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, mm. to be honest with you, because... 
if the UFC is going to make Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker, and Robert Whitaker again gets the job done against Kelvin Gaslam, you're in a position to be that backup fighter. Mm-hmm. Now, whether he takes that or not, and he's willing to do that, remains to be seen. But if I was him, I'm going to sit and wait because you never know injury. You know, Adesanya can, you know, he doesn't usually pull out, always shows up. Um, and Whitaker, you know, obviously has had some concerns and with injuries and with, you know, last minute pull-ups, not to any fault of his own, but that's just the reality. Um, if I'm Marvin Vittori, I wait. If I'm the UFC and I'm the matchmaker, I think a very intriguing matchup would be actually Marvin Vittori versus Paulo Costa. Someone, mm-hmm. not to say that Jared Cannonier and Darren Brunson don't have, aren't deserving of fighting Marvin and aren't deserving, you know, of that top two, three contender. But I think if you have Marvin Vittori versus Paulo Costa and you have Vittori winning, then that again kind of strengthens his case for I agree. and you can't agree you, you can't disagree with him there you know what i mean there's no argument just like if if Whitaker were to get the job done this weekend you can't disagree with Marvin getting a title shot if he beats someone like Paulo Costa who just fought Izzy for the belt someone who has a win over Yoel Romero who was on a run and who was a you know a big puzzle at middleweight that Adesanya ended up you know solving but i yeah. think that, i think that more is intriguing to me as a fan than having Marvin take on um, Brunson or Cannoneer. Yeah, uh, 1SS is suggesting Costa versus Taylor Hermanson. I, I don't think Hermanson at this point, I think he's too far back. I still think, you know, although Paulo Costa just got smushed by Izzy, so did Robert Whitaker. So I'm not prepared to say that Paulo Costa isn't the actually the best or second best guy in that division. We just needed to play out a bit. I think, like you said, giving Marvin Vittori the Paulo Costa fight will give us a clearer picture of who each of those men are as opposed to going all the way back to like a Jack Hermanson or even a Darren Till. Uh, actual last thing on this, because I, I like where your head is at. There's a rhetoric I've been putting out a lot, which is in that Marvin Vittori-Israel Adesanya fight, it was a split decision that people did score Vittori's way. Now, obviously, Adesanya's personality is one factor of what pushed him so fast, but it's crazy in hindsight to think that after that fight that was so close... We saw Izzy get such a big boost. We're talking Brad Tavares, Derek Brunson, Anderson Silva, Robert Whitaker. And we saw Marvin Vittori regulated down to, like, Cesar Fajaya. In hindsight, it's kind of insane how hard we made Marvin Vittori work to get back to this point. So I, I like the idea of Apollo Costa fight because I really want to see. It's it's not pretty when Marvin fights. They're not as dominant as Izzy's. But I don't think that's to say that Marvin is worse than Izzy so much as it is that Marvin's style is just grueling and ugly compared to Adesanya's, you know, sweet ninja skills. Yeah, I to- I totally agree with that. And like I said, it's not to say that the names of his opponents and his win streak isn't impressive. I mean, when you win five fights in a row in any division in the UFC, it, you're you're at the top of your game. You're, you know, you're in you're in the cream of the crop. You're in the best fighting organization in the world. So, when you have a fight fight five fight win streak in a division that doesn't have necessarily a clear title picture like we talked about. There is a case for Marvin to get that title shot, but he needs he needs that one name to kind of just push him over the top. You know, when you have a legitimate contender, they always have that one name, at least one name that kind of pushes them over the edge where you can't deny them that. And he might not want to admit that, but that's where I stand on that. 
Fair enough. Uh, we're going to go to the comments for the last thing here. Shout out to Max Elkakui Holloway back with us today. He says, Askren wins a boring decision and Gaslam Whitaker is fight of the year. I do like that contrast. You said you were going to watch Paul Askren. Does that mean you're not watching UFC or are you going to hope that the main events end at different times? I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Whitaker Gaslam will not start until Askren. I'm going to hope that they end on different times because I'm going to be honest with you. My intrigue is obviously at the top end of the UFC card. Um, it's not to say that it's, you know, there's not some great fights that are, you know, potential matchups or, you know, potential great fights that we're, we have on the card. But my focus obviously lies between that intriguing matchup between Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gassum. So I might have to break out the computer and the TV and kind of have yeah. them go simultaneously. Um, but yeah, I am, I, I don't want to admit it. I hate admitting it, but I do. I am intrigued. I'm going to end up watching Paul versus Full Askren. disclosure, I will be watching Jake Paul versus Ben Askren instead. That is not because that's what I'd rather be doing with my Saturday night, uh, but it is the weekend of my girlfriend's birthday, so I, I told her, whatever fight and soonest is the fight that I will be covering uh, over at Fightful.com. So you guys can check that there. Marcus, uh, first and foremost, dude, very nice to see you again. It's it's We met at UFC Ottawa coincidentally ran into each other at UFC 244, Madison Square Garden, Jorge Masvidal and Diaz. Didn't even tell me you were going to be there. And then you let me uh, work from your hotel because they kicked us out of the arena at like 3 in the morning and we still had all the videos to get up. Uh, yeah, with the time difference with the... You know, the Bro, I'll send you a photo time. later. I don't think I ever sent it to you. I basically did not sleep that whole day. I got back on the flight and I looked like a corpse. I was <laughs> the ugliest I've ever been. I didn't know that was possible. Uh, Marcus, let the people know where they can find you, my dude. Um, on Twitter, at Marcus Rubello94, um, covering everything, all sports. Uh, you know, my man, Manchester United fandom seems to dominate uh, my tweets these days or my time these days and um, Formula One. But obviously, I'm a huge fight fan and I've covered the sport for uh, since 2019. So uh, time does fly. But yeah, they can find me there, uh, at Marcus Rubello94 on, uh, on Twitter for uh, some of my content. Boom. There we go, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at Shaq underscore food. That's Shaq with a K. You see all the tags from the nameplate. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I think we'll be back next week with another free one since it's UFC 261. But if you guys want to support what we do, please head over to FightfulSelect.com. That is our Patreon. You'll get this show every week as well as a ton, a ton, and ton of breaking pro wrestling content from Sean Ross Sapp. We're looking to integrate more MMA stuff on there. Super cheap. You know, I think it's like five bucks a month. It's really a great way to show Fightful that you care about the show and it's worth investing in. So we can do that. We appreciate it very much. At the very least, hit subscribe, tap the notification bell, leave a thumbs up on this video. Enjoy UFC Vegas 24. Enjoy Jake Paul versus Ben Askren if you're a masochist. We'll see you next Friday. Lots of videos coming out next week. Time for that crappy, crappy outro. So stay tuned for everything Fightful and so delightful. Peace out. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.